Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. In today's episode, we're delighted to bring you another installment of case studies, where we take a closer look at some of the cases that pertain to employment law, HR and the world of work. Today, we're discussing the interesting case of Kiernan versus Annex Software, a case based on discriminatory dismissal, among some other things. And to take a closer look at this case today, we're delighted to be joined by Adrian Toomey, partner at Jacob and Toomey Solicitors. Thanks for joining us, Adrian. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Owen. I hope you are too. All good here. Thank you very much. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And uh, as always, it's a pleasure to have you here, Adrian. Thanks, Mary. So we'll jump right in. Brilliant. So Adrian, can you give us an overview of the case to kick us off, really? What were the circumstances of the case? What were the kind of key details? Okay. Um, it's an interesting case, Owen, I think, in that there's a lot of subtlety involved in it. And there's a lot of reading between the lines can be done with the decision. But in essence, the case was brought by uh, a Brian Kiernan, who it appears was employed as a technical support manager by a Dublin-based office equipment supplier called Quest Systems. They're technically, the company name was Annex Software Limited. So Mr. Kiernan was um, employed in that technical support capacity, and he started in 1999. So we're not dealing with an employee who had short service. This was a gentleman who uh, had lengthy service with his employer. And initially, it appears that he was out on the road calling to customers, servicing photocopiers and other office equipment, uh, a type of role that we're all familiar with from people coming into our own offices to do to do that type of work for us. But over the years, it seems that his role changed and evolved, and he took on a bit more responsibility. And the evidence given to the Workplace Relations Commission was that ultimately, he ended up in what was primarily an office-based role where he was at his desk, managing client accounts, undertaking pricing, and organizing others who would provide the technical support on the road. So significant change in his role and responsibilities over the years, not surprising given his length of service, however. Anyway, 5th of November 2019 was a critical date for Mr. Kiernan and for the company in that he was unfortunately involved in a road traffic accident and was injured. And as a result of that injury, he was suffering from back and neck pain. And that resulted in his having to take a period of sick leave. So he was out for a number of weeks and was apparently unpaid by his employer during that that period of sick leave. In January 2020, he contacted the company about two months after the accident and said that he wanted to return to work, although his medical certificate wasn't due to expire until the February of that year. Now, that's not an unusual situation where an employee is out of work and they're not getting an income. 
obviously there'll be financial pressure on them to return to work. And Mr. Kiernan said he wanted to come back. The company told him that he'd need to be medically assessed before he could return. And they arranged for a medical assessment by an occupational health physician. Again, not unusual over the last couple of years since the COVID pandemic, that medical assessment took place by telephone. It was found that he was fit to return to work uh, in circumstances where his job was sedentary in nature. But it does appear that that didn't suit the company or that that might not have been the answer that the company wanted to get from the occupational health physician. And I'm reading between the lines here. He had a meeting with his manager after that medical assessment took place. And the manager told him that his role or job had been largely absorbed by others while he was out sick. And that if he was going to be coming back, then there'd need to be some sort of reshuffle within the organization. And critically, this is the first mistake that the company makes. The manager suggested that maybe he'd consider taking a financial package to leave rather than returning to work. Now, I get questions about putting financial packages to employees every other day. It's a very dangerous thing for employers to do, but that's that's an issue we can come back on. So that was proposed, and he said, no, he wanted to return to work. And he was then told that there'd need to be a second medical assessment, because apparently one doctor's word wasn't good enough. The company said that the first medical report hadn't assessed the issue of manual handling. So following that, a severance package was put to him, and he rejected it. And then he was sent for a second medical assessment. And surprise, surprise, this time the doctor found that he was not fit to return to work on the basis that he was required to engage in significant manual handling, lifting heavy weights, and that he wasn't up to doing so. However, he gave evidence at the Workplace Relations Commission that he didn't, in fact, uh, have to lift weights in the course of his duties because uh, of the changes that had taken place in his role over the years. So it was in those circumstances that he was told by the company that he wasn't fit to return because he wasn't capable of lifting weights of up to 80 kilograms. And having been refused permission to return to work, he resigned and sued. So that's the background to the case going to the Workplace Relations Commission. Owen. Brilliant. Uh, and a lot too. It's definitely a complex case. What was the outcome in the end, Adrian, when it came to the courts? Well, when the case came before the adjudication officer, obviously there was some interesting wrinkles in the evidence, particularly around his duties in relation to manual handling and lifting weights. And quite a bit of attention was paid to that. And the adjudication officer concluded that he wasn't lifting weights on a regular basis, and that what the employer had tried to do was put the doctor in a position where the doctor understood or believed that he was having to lift heavy weights. In other words, that the employer was trying to skew the outcome of the medical assessment and ensure that it got a medical report that said that he wasn't fit to return to work. So I'll actually quote from the adjudication officer's decision just for a moment, if you'll let me own, because it's, a, it's an interesting couple of lines. The adjudication officer said, I am absolutely satisfied that the employer put the complainant into an impossible position 
the employer forced a finding of fact concerning a disability, which even if the complainant had any such disability, is and was irrelevant to the functions and roles he performed in the workplace. This was a peculiarly clumsy attempt to prevent the complainant from returning to the workplace and forcing him to retire by reason of ill health. So that's a pretty damning decision from the adjudication officer. And the adjudication officer went on to say that it wasn't even a case of refusing to provide reasonable accommodation or taking appropriate measures. It was using a disability, she says, weaponizing it, and forcing the complainant to resign his position where no alternative was open to him. And so on that basis, the adjudication officer concluded that the dismissal was a constructive discriminatory dismissal. In other words, the employee was forced into resigning from their position because of the employer's unreasonable conduct. And she awarded him €58,000, which is a fairly sizable award from the Workplace Relations Commission. So a resounding victory for the employee in the case. Definitely sounds like a strong judgment. And this is, I suppose, a question I'll ask both of you, but I'll come to yourself, Mary, first. From your perspective, Mary, what are the kind of policies, procedures, I suppose, core issues here in this case from a, an employer, HR kind of perspective? Yeah, well, I, I guess in the first place, you're looking at the sick leave policy and what you're entitled to do. And so presumably in this case, the organisation or the company had a sick leave policy that entitled them to have him medically assessed in the first instance. But I guess when you look at this, really, you're looking at the Employment Equality Acts in terms of disability being a protected characteristic that if somebody has a, a disability, that the employer has an obligation to provide them with reasonable accommodation. And I suppose as part of that, they would have to first assess whether the person was fully capable of undertaking their duties. And it's a really interesting case in that presumably he has an accident, he goes out sick. Within a couple of months, they have replaced him temporarily or outsourced, I think, in this case as well, Adrian, parts of his role. And like Adrian says, reading between the lines, maybe there were issues that had never been addressed with this particular employee and they had possibly used an opportunity to, you know, make changes or reshuffle the role or do something while he was out. That is always challenging. And I so often I get asked by our clients uh, when somebody goes out sick, what they can do because there are problems with the employee that have never been addressed by the employer beforehand. Now, that's me speculating that maybe had nothing to do with the scenario, but it's not an unusual situation. Because two months is quite a short time, really, two or three months is quite a short time for the employer to have taken those steps and to have made decisions about permanent changes to this person's role. When you're, I suppose, looking at medical assessments and, and how they work. Typically, the employer is engaging with an occupational health consultant or maybe a company doctor appointed by the organisation. And 
before that appointment, you're filling out a referral form, which is outlining what you want the doctor to do, what you want the doctor to consider. Um, And often you're attaching something like a job description with that referral so that the doctor has a full view of the person's role. And given that an employee can actually access that information directly from the doctor. Employers must be very careful about what it is that they're actually putting into those assessments. And usually the assessment is all about how do we get this person back to work as quickly as possible? It's not really how do we dismiss someone or how do we move somebody on from the role? It's really about trying to figure out when can they come back? Do we need to make any adjustments um, temporarily? Do we need to consider any adjustments over a longer period of time? And how soon is the person going to be able to fully undertake their duties again? And in this case, it's quite clear that they didn't want him to come back and that they went about, you know, skewing the information that was given to the doctor so that they would get the result that they actually wanted. And it's unfortunate for them because the award is quite high. There's always publicity. I'm sure they won't be too thrilled to be the subject of a podcast, for instance, and and to be picked up by the media and to have had someone like Adrian Toomey writing about the case. But again, it's really important from a HR perspective that you're really practical about these things and that you're considering things as fairly as you possibly can. So Adrian, similar question to yourself from your perspective, what do you think were the the key kind of policies, procedures there in addition to what Mary was saying? Well, I suppose Mary's right in that you you have to start with the the employment equality legislation. And um, I suppose that the first thing that I I think some employers would be surprised by is the idea that, uh, that this gentleman was classed as having a disability. So the Employment Equality Acts prohibit discrimination based on disability. And, you know, we, we sometimes think in terms of people with disabilities as always being wheelchair bound or something like that, whereas disability is really, really broadly defined in the Employment Equality Acts. So just about any medical illness or injury will be classed as a disability, even if it's temporary for the purposes of the Employment Equality Acts which means that every time we deal with somebody who has a medical condition or an illness or an injury, we need to assume that they're going to be classed as having a disability for the purposes of the Employment Equality Acts and that we can't be seen to discriminate against them and that we have to, as Mary rightly pointed out, afford them what the legislation describes as reasonable accommodation. Now, reasonable accommodation in this instance might have meant giving him time off to recover from his injury, altering his duties slightly on his return, even if only on a temporary basis. But leaving that aside for a second, the Labour Court has said in a number of cases on that it's important that employers inform and educate themselves by availing of professional advice when dealing with an employee with a disability. In other words, go to an occupational health consultant or an occupational health specialist, get appropriate medical advice as to the precise nature of the disability, the limitations that might impose on the employee in terms of their ability to do the job, 
and any accommodations that might be required or reasonable in order to facilitate the employee doing the job. Now, the employer in this case ticked that box in the sense that they went to get professional advice. Unfortunately, when you go looking for a second report, the question can arise, are you shopping for the right doctor or the right report to suit your predetermined agenda? And I think the adjudication officer certainly felt that that was what was happening here. Now, I remember going back 10, 15, 20 years saying to employers, look, go and get a doctor's report. And whatever the doctor says, you need to do because the courts and tribunals will regard doctors as being close to gods. Whatever they say is gospel and you just do it. And doctor's advice was never questioned or queried by courts or tribunals. That was my experience. Now things are different. Now the WRC certainly seems to look at medical reports critically. And they seem to have the view that Perhaps doctors are being influenced by employers. And of course, it is possible for employers to influence doctors' reports because those reports will be based on the job descriptions that are given to them by employers. And certainly the adjudication officer here in this particular case seems to believe that the employer had influenced the outcome of the second medical report. So I think a couple of key points. One, remember the definition of disability is really broad ranging. Two, make sure to get appropriate medical advice when you are dealing with an employee who has a disability. Three, don't make the mistake of being seen to try to influence the outcome of the medical report. And I think going beyond that, the fourth point to take from the case that's, that's very important is if you're going to put a severance package to an employee, you're pretty much saying up front, we want you gone. And you want to be very certain that the employee is going to accept that severance package, that it's enticing enough for them to take and run if you're going to put one to them. So I regularly tell employers, you know, you're taking a chance if you go to an employee and say, we'll pay you off to go. Because if you're offering enough money, fine, the employee might accept and go and you short circuited uh, a termination process. If you're not offering enough money to satisfy the employee, you've basically admitted you want them gone and you're going to lose any subsequent unfair dismissal or discriminatory dismissal claim that the employee might bring. Sorry, that, that was a long-winded answer, Owen, and, and apologies for taking up so long. On oh, no, absolutely. I suppose key important advice, and I think with such a resounding judgment as well, Adrian, is those key points that really kind of led the powers that be to decide on, on such a decision, really, wasn't it? It's a really interesting decision, I think, because the adjudication officer digs deeper beyond the surface of the medical report and looks at what drove that medical report and how the employer influenced potentially the medical report. And that's, that's a new level of analysis that the WRC are bringing to bear. And if that happens on an ongoing basis into the future, then I think because a whole host of cases are going to be decided differently to the manner in which they've been decided up until now. So in one way, the Annex software case, the Kiernan case, is relatively straightforward and has been flying under the radar. But I, I think it's a key case and an important case that will have an impact on how employers approach dealing with issues going forward into the future.
Definitely. And I think that's was the big question that we always ask on this podcast, Mary, the, the most important one is from your perspective, Mary, what can HR teams, companies kind of take from this judgment, take from this case, anything they, that they can do to prevent this from happening again? I think one of the key things Adrian said there was about getting that support at the right time as well. I assume that's going to be part of your advice, is it? Oh, always. Um, and so, you know, getting the correct professional support from the doctor is one thing, but also getting the best advice you can possibly get from whether it's a, a solicitor like Adrian or HR consultancy like ourselves, so that you're thinking these things through very clearly before you start making mistakes. As you know, the adjudicator put a lot of weight on um, a job description that had been provided to Mr. Kiernan by his manager in 2015, where it was clear from that job description that he was to largely work from his desk and not be away from the sales floor and the office for significant periods with only short, short visits to the warehouse. And, you know, I always say to our clients, the paper trail is hugely important. How you document the job descriptions, how you document your discussions. When it gets to the point where somebody is looking at what you have done, like a third party looking at what you have done, they are going to be looking at your documentation. And it's important that all of that is very clearly put together and clearly thought through so that you're not making significant mistakes. And like Adrian, I agree that, you know, when somebody is trying to come back to work and the employer doesn't want them to for one reason or another, they have to approach something like that with great care and, you know, putting an offer on the table for somebody to leave because you've reshuffled their job without you looking at what else you might be able to offer someone is not wise. And, you know, we would deal with a lot of our clients having problems around employees and sometimes looking for the easy answers. The easy answers being, let's put an offer on the table, let's make somebody redundant, let's reshuffle the job and, and you know, make decisions around that. All of those decisions must be thought through carefully and you must always be asking the question, well, what if it goes wrong? What if it goes pear-shaped? How could this go pear-shaped? What are our risks um, when we're considering these kind of things? You know, from the company's perspective, you know, I'm sure there's always a backstory. There's always a backstory. There's always a reason for a company to behave in the way that they do, whether that's right or wrong. And I'm not justifying what uh, AFIX software have done, but there is always something in the background that drives them towards decisions that are flawed. And it's so important that you get good advice The challenges you on and your decisions and questions what it is you're trying to achieve here because you know ultimately AFIX software have egg on their face here they've got a, a large award publicity all the things that a small company don't need 
particularly when they're, you know, trying to compete in a space like this company was, where they have large accounts with different companies out there. You know, this does nobody any good. Absolutely. So a lot we can we can take from the case. And again, it's great to have such insights from from yourself, Mary, and from Adrian as well. Thank you both for a, a very insightful discussion and a lot of tips we can we can share there. And hopefully a lot of people got some great value out of that. Thank you, to, obviously, to everyone for listening as well. We will catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to please subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Again, we always have the ear to the ground for cases like these. But if there's any cases or even topics you do want us to, to talk about in the future, make sure to reach out. We do enjoy these case studies podcasts and we hope you do too. So we do welcome your recommendations. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.